Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of Every Outfit. What's up? Nothing much. I mean, this often happens is we get to this podcast and I really don't have anything to say to you because I just saw you Tuesday night. Yes, we did see each other because we went to this event for the new season of Hacks, which was really beautiful because we've been doing unpaid HBO Max spawn for so long that it's really nice that they finally invited us to one of their influencer activations. I guess big ups to them for having more COVID protocols than the Met Gala. (laughs) Yeah, we just want to say we definitely did not get COVID at the HBO Max Hacks event. By the way, our voices are so sarcastic. You probably think that we did get COVID from the event, but we're being very genuine. They made us submit our information so that they could send us rapid tests that we had to take the morning of the event and then upload the results. I know. I was like, fuck, am I going to a White House correspondence dinner? Like, are there world leaders at the hacks activation? They didn't even do that for the White House correspondence dinner because that was a super spreader event. <laughs> Whatever. It was fun. It was Western themed. They even had a mechanical bowl. Very saddle ranch. Oh. But for people that are actually of drinking age. <laughs> or Miranda Hobbs when she's in Los Angeles. <laughs> It was at this hotel called the Tommy, which there was a lot of discussion of like, is this affiliated with the Thompson Hotel? It is. But it's so bold because it opened right next to another hotel. And we're like, what hotel are we in? Am I in Mama Shelter? Also, it seems like we can't escape this part of Los Angeles, which is like kind of like if Urban Outfitters tried to make a New York in Hollywood, (laughs) that's what this neighborhood is. It's like the Dream Hotel, the Urban Outfitters concept store. Amoeba was there, but now it's gone. It's moved to a further place in Hollywood. It's where Arclight Hollywood was and maybe still is. It's where our favorite conveyor belt sushi place was that no longer exists. Yeah, R.I.P. But the Hacks event, I thought, was fabulous, although we were our usual antisocial selves because you and Tad found a perfect couch in front of a television screen of which you were posted up. And then the three of us just sat there because we were like, oh, why go into this screening room when we could just sit here? And like for 20 minutes, there were people who work the event who were just trying to like cajole us into the screening room. And we were like, isn't it just playing here? And they were like, yeah, we're like we're not going in there anyway. But it did make me think about the lack of the these kind of events for in just like that. Yeah, I got the sense that and just like that ambushed everyone, (laughs) including people that work for HBO Max. I know, but we couldn't help but wonder what uh, and just like that event or screening could be like. And my pitch is there used to be right before the pandemic at an old TJ Maxx across from the Grove, something called the Britney Spears in the zone experience. 
And they build several sets from her music videos, like the airplane set from Toxic, the lockers from Hit Me Baby One More Time. You're and- talking about this like literally everyone listening was <laughs> oh, not aware that this is something that happened. I'm sorry, guys. but We all saw Busy Phillips' Instagram <laughs> stories in the Britney Spears zone. That's a fact. But could you imagine if they had done that with Carrie's apartment, the diner, Charlotte's apartment, Samantha's PR office? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, obviously we would love that. They did something like that, or at least they did, they recreated Carrie's apartment in England for And Just Like That. They did a weird Airbnb. We talked about that. Yes, they did an Airbnb apartment giveaway, which quite like the Kardashian, you know, win all of this Louis Vuitton giveaway shit that they do. I don't know who won that Airbnb experience. And then they recreated it in London. If you were one of the two lucky people that won the Airbnb experience, please call in and tell us how it was. Do you know who it was? It was an HBO executive, I'm sure. (laughs) Certainly wasn't us. But here's hoping for in just like that season two is some sort of experience. And they ask us to host it. Yeah, that'd be great. We're available. We're tech avail. But someone please have an event in Santa Monica so that Chelsea and Tech can justify moving to almost the west side. Because every event we've been to since they've moved to their new places on the east side, which is great for me because now I just bum rides home with you guys. (sighs) Anyway. So something you didn't drive me to but was right by your house was I went to a TikTok estate sale. Oh, the the one that was on TikTok. Look, estate sales have become very popular thanks to something called estatesales.net, which is a collection of anywhere you live, you can look up the estate sales in your area. But now there are TikTok estate sale influencers who are given access to these estate sales a day or two before, and they show you what's there. Right. And there was one in Bel Air, which I had seen on estatesales.net, and I was like, eh, not for me. And then your wife, a day before, was like, this is so you, you need to go. And I was like, all right. And I knew because it was on TikTok, it was going to be insane. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I don't know if I should be saying this, but I will give you the tea and the key to estate sales, which is there are sign-up sheets for these estate sales. And when the address is revealed, usually the day before, you go to that location and put your name on the sign-up sheet. Now, this estate sale... <laughs> now you're just fucking yourself over in the future. All the fuckettes are going to be lined up. All the fuckettes in down. LA? Yeah. You know what? They'll do me a solid. They'll put my name down, hopefully. <laughs> but this estate sale was interesting because they did not reveal the address until the sign-up sheet was going to be put out. But I knew it was in Bel Air, and given the details they gave, I kind of had a sense of where the estate sale was. You were such a creep. You're just like driving around Bel Air in circles. Kind of, but guess what? Guess who was fourth on that (laughs) list, baby? Me. So I got on the list. I fucked off for an hour because it didn't open until 10 a.m. The sign-up sheet was at 8.15. And by 9.30, there were 300 people in line. So they let 20 people in. Only six people could be in the clothing room. And this woman, so one of the reasons that it this TikTok blew up, which now it has a half a million views. Yikes. Was because this woman had Chanel, Armani, Hermes, a ton of designer stuff. So I was one of the, I was the fourth person on the list. Six people were allowed in the clothing room at a time for 20 minutes. So that's immediately where I went, which 
Unfortunately, I couldn't get you and your wife the leopard glasses that she wanted. (laughs) It's all good. I forgive you. Thank you. And then I was let in and I immediately went to the Chanel rack and noticed that all of the pricing was, mm, how do I refer to it as? Um, First dib pricing, let's say? That's fucked up. Yeah. So what's the point? Because the point of going to estate sales is that because you are doing a degree of labor, right? Yeah. Showing up early, going there, you get things for cheaper, but it balances out. Like it's not like you, there's not work put into it. So when it's just first dib prices, it's like that's not accounting for your labor and time. I mean, look, vintage has become so insane. We've had this conversation many times. Like the pricing for vintage has been insane for a while, but now it's just like downward moved into estate sales. More my issue, like for me, I bought a pair of Chanel pants, which to be honest, these Chanel pants, if they were on first dibs, would probably be twice as much. Right. Like I looked. But you're still paying hundreds of dollars. You're not like paying like $200 for Chanel pants. No. Unless you went the last day of the sale, which is this one company, I'll, I'll name them, Handled Estates, is doing a new sale in Brentwood in a couple of weeks. And I would say- Is we this sh- sponsored by that company? No, because they're I- not, they're not going to like what I have to say, which is their stuff is overpriced. I would suggest <laughs> that we go the last day, first thing in the morning, where it, when everything is 60% off. All right. Good to know. I was aware that this estate sale was happening because I drove by it every single day for three days and there's random TikTokers like running across Beverly Glen. Anywho, shall we talk about Sex in the City stuff? The gift that just keeps on giving. Just when we think there's nothing more to talk about. <sighs> I know. There's so much to talk about. So Kim Cattrall was on the cover of Variety's The Power of Women issue where she acknowledged and just like that for the very first time. It was certainly worth the wait. <laughs> It was giving, um, I don't know her, Mariah Carey energy. Yeah. One thing I want to note before we dive into this, how often does Variety do this power of women issue? Because the last one came out in September. Like at what point is every third issue of Variety not just the power of women? How many men did they put on the cover, Chelsea? Okay. I feel like La Roach is on the cover every single year. Oh no, that's the Hollywood Reporter. Stylist issue. Never mind. I get my industry rags mixed up. Yeah. She really spilled the tea. She was more candid than I expected, given the radio silence about and just like that. She's doing what I suppose Chris Rock is going to do, which is like you just you wait, you wait, you wait, and then you launch. She used the venue being awarded something else to talk about it. Now, granted, is it a bullshit title? Yeah, but fine. <laughs> So in this article, the big sort of bombshells, I guess, is that she was never asked to be part of the reboot to begin with. She found out about it on social media, she says. She said that after the second movie, (laughs) she said, everything in me told me I'm done, which fair enough. I wonder if she had that come to Jesus moment when they were singing I am woman, hear me roar at karaoke. Like surely at that point you'd be like, wow, literally everything in my body is telling me to just run off this stage, fly back to Canada, whatever. Yeah, I mean, she talks about how that she felt the original show was about single women and how, you know, it was never really about desperation and it felt like 
being yourself on your own terms and the show didn't feel like that anymore or I guess the movies did not feel like that anymore yeah she also said that she was really appalled by the lost plot line where Brady sent her dick pics which she described as heartbreaking yeah I have to say that I did think her ideas of Samantha were not the worst ideas why can't Samantha who owns her own PR company maybe she had to sell it because of the financial woes of 2008 yeah Also, she confirmed what we already know to be true, which is that the Sex in the City 3 script just became and just like that. Yeah, which I saw people like trying to check her where it's like, well, she said she never watched it. So how would she know? It's like she definitely watched it. She said (laughs) she didn't watch it. But if she admits to watching it, then they can ask her about specific things. She needs that plausible deniability. She's definitely watched it. Can you imagine how fun it would be to watch and just like that under Kim Cattrall's circumstances? It would be thrilling. I think the best way to have watched and just like that is just Kim Cattrall <laughs> heavy sighing throughout each episode. Absolutely. Another thing that completely got lost in this article is that she mentioned that she filmed a non-binary sex scene in the Queer as Folk reboot. I'm very intrigued about this. This stuff between Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker really does feel like a housewives fight because during this interview she's asked if they were friends and she's like I guess it's how you define friends I think we were colleagues my colleagues aren't my friends it was all professional which is a fair statement to say sure she handled all of those questions very well I think there was nothing that was really taken out of context in the way that her Piers Morgan comments were for example That's true. I think she's also had time to prepare. But at the same time, this interview did feel real. It didn't feel like she was just regurgitating talking points from a publicist. Like she felt, it felt like she was in the moment. But I do find it funny that the whole premise of this interview was about moving on from Sex in the City, (laughs) but it was like 85% Sex in the City. It was like 15% How I Met Your Father and Queer as Folk. And then all sex in the city which she's correct this how i met your father gig sounds amazing <laughs> it really does she just goes into a booth for a day gets a season worth of money and then she fucks off for a year she's like this is the best job i've ever had i only have one outfit that seems like a dig on patricia field which i have to say patricia styled her for this shoot and for the red carpet right no i don't think so right. definitely not for the I I wouldn't assume that. I just assumed because when I saw the sheer gloves with all the like pearl baubles on it, I I got I got deep Patricia Field vibes. Yeah, those gloves are Dries Van Noten. And yes, I feel like Pat Field would love them. But yeah, she looks good. It's maybe not the most artistic photo shoot, but it's good. It did the job. And as if that weren't juicy enough... Who knew there was a luncheon? Of course, we're so stupid. There's always a luncheon for these power of women uh, awards. Are they awards? Are they? Yeah, you get an actual award, but you're not nominated against anyone. It's like they pick five or six people or something like that that they just honor. I'm just going to say, I'm going to use another nerd reference, but this is really starting to feel like Captain America Civil War. It's like, am I team Captain America? Am I team Iron Man? Am I team Michael Patrick? Am I team Kim? Because Kim brought with her a rogues gallery of like deep cut sex in the city people of Candace Bushnell. Darren Starr, and Patricia Field. I wouldn't describe them as deep cuts. I think that's a little rude. 
I'm sorry. The OGs, let's say. It's basically everyone that's not involved in it and just like that. Sure, Candace, she created the characters. She gets a check. But she's not creatively involved in the show in any way, nor is Darren Starr or Pat Field. Yeah, this was a major power move because it's not like they were all just there. It's like they came in a car together. They sat at a table. Darren Starr introduced Kim in a speech that is so bizarre (laughs) and written from the perspective of Samantha Jones. He was basically like, oh, I've got a letter from Samantha Jones. I'm going to read it now. Here's some of the audio. Kim, I'm a big fan, but I've got some questions for you. First of all, why do you live on Vancouver Island? It's beautiful, but if you're going to live on an island, what about Manhattan? So many more eligible men. Okay, I understand you're in a wonderful relationship, but like I always say, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. I'm glad you got to star in and produce your own series, Sensitive Skin, for HBO Canada, which got nominated for a lot of fabulous awards. I want to know, why is he talking about Second Skin and how critically acclaimed it was? I googled this. It won four Canadian Screen Awards. But there's only four shows in Canada at one time. Uh, They're like, do we give it to kids in the hall? Do we give it to this? <laughs> We're going to get such angry calls from our Canadian listeners. They're like, um, actually, there's no way that Second Skin is half as good as Kids in the Hall. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Actually, is it? Has anyone watched? Or wait, Second Skin or Sensitive Skin? Sensitive Skin. Oh, so I don't even know what it's called. Sensitive skin, yes. Is this something we should be doing for the Patreon? Well, can someone that's watched Sensitive Skin tell us if we should watch it or not? Like, I don't want to just dive in head first. Davina is a woman in her 50s who works in a gallery who has recently moved from the suburbs into an apartment in downtown Toronto with her neurotic husband, Al, a pop culture critic. She finds it difficult to adjust to life as she gets older, worried that her looks are fading and she has done nothing of substance with her life. Okay, sounds a little Mary Gateskill. So then Kim went on stage, not as Samantha Jones, not as her alter ego. But gave a searing speech about how basically no is a full sentence. It's a word. And the word is no. No. That's not for me. No. I've been there. I've done that. No. I won't be bullied. No. That salary is unacceptable. No, we are not having a meeting in your hotel room. Just say no, Lauren. This gave me flashbacks to the D.A.R.E. seminars of my youth. Are they still doing those, by the way? I don't know. These were these weird seminars about say no to drugs, which do they still do that or... Do they just give like fifth graders Narcan now and send them on their way? <laughs> they get them, they give them fentanyl testing strips <laughs> as they enter middle school. Yeah, it's like I got a tie dyed t shirt that said dare, but like little Timmy gets a uh, fentanyl testing strip. You should have kept that. You could sell that on Grailed for $600. The only people that wear dare sh- t shirts use drugs. Yeah, they wear it ironically. All right, back to Kim's speech because. The genius stroke of the speech is that she's referencing in just like that without ever having to say the words in just like that. Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael Patrick King, Samantha Jones, right? No, I won't do that. No, I'm not going backwards. No, I won't be bullied. No, the salary is unacceptable, which is like, which salary? Are you saying the salary for Sex and City 3? 
Because you weren't right. opposed for him just like that. And then she gets into, then it becomes a little uh, Me Too-y where she's like, no, I won't go to your hotel room. You're like, whoa, whoa, what waters are we charting into now? Yeah. Just say no to everything, Chell. Yeah. No, I won't do that podcast at the time you want to, Lauren. <laughs> no, I don't want that sweet green salad. No, Lauren, I don't want to talk about dumb influencer TikTok shit that I don't care about. And you know what? Quite like Michael Patrick King, I'm like, I don't care what you want. This is what I want to do. <laughs> it is genius from a PR standpoint. The whole way that this was rolled out, and this would not have worked had and just like that not gotten such mixed reviews. You don't brag about saying no to something that's massively successful. It would be like someone be like, ooh, I almost decided to be in succession. And then I said no. It's like no one would do that. Right. It would be like Bette Midler going around being like, yeah, I passed on the sister act. Like, <laughs> It's like it just doesn't come across the same way. So in that sense, it's pretty brilliant that she has come out on top in a way. Although I do think that this cover could have been more major. Like the publication could have been a little more major. Like I would rather this is a Vanity Fair cover or something. Not that Vanity Fair is good anymore, but you know what I mean. I do. I also like that she said, you are the screenwriter in the movie of your own life, which made me realize that I might be a terrible writer, <laughs> which is terrifying because I am a screenwriter <laughs> and allegedly good. <laughs> I sent you that Oprah Super Soul conversation about that self-help author that like it was that was the concept of his his book. It was like you are writing the screenplay of your life. Oof. You never listened to it, did you? Probably not. No. I feel like now is a good time to mention that Kim Cattrall and Isabelle Huppert were in a film together and are lifelong friends, a film that we've never seen. Yeah, we should watch that. Yeah, it would be so good if she showed up with the crew. <laughs> It's sad that she didn't get that role as Petrovsky's ex. Oh, Isabelle Huppert? Yeah. Was that even in the conversation or you just no, want I'm her just, to be? I'm, oh, I'm okay. just trying to think of like any way that she would have fit into that show. And that seems like the most logical. Uh, so good for Kim. Also, this makes it slightly sweeter and not that Kim Cattrall planned it this way, but the Tony nominations came out and surprisingly, Sarah Jessica Parker is not on the nominee list. Yeah rude but if you think that's harsh just remember that beanie feldstein was not nominated for funny girl and that someone got yelled at by patty lapone the other day put your mask over your nose that's why you're in the theater that is the rule if you don't want to follow the rule get the fuck out i don't want to be on the side of the anti-masker but that was terrifying this has nothing to do with sex in the city, but it's just, I would just leave and I would never be okay again. Me neither. I'd never set foot in a Broadway theater after that. But this is something that Patti Lupone does. Like I saw her in this play called Shows for Days and this didn't happen at the performance that I was at, but in a later performance, she grabbed a cell phone out of an audience member's hand stayed in character the whole time and like threw it across the room or something like that. Like this is something that she does habitually. You would think that the Tonys would want that like Golden Globes, like we're going to nominate Sarah Jessica Parker because she's going to show up in a fabulous outfit energy. But yeah, I think sometimes Tony voters don't want to reward hugely famous people who star in Broadway shows. But 
SJP is a Broadway person first and foremost. She was the third Annie. And she's in a play with her husband, who's also Broadway royalty, Matthew Broderick. Who was also snubbed, by the way. This feels very purposeful. If it's giving me a Ben Affleck not being nominated for Best Director for Argo, but everything else getting nominated for Argo. Yeah. Also, I do remember watching SJP perform at the Tonys once when she was in Once Upon a Mattress. Shouldn't she get at least a nomination for the fact that this was supposed to open the week that the pandemic shut everything down. Yeah. If there was some sort of like emotional labor category, <laughs> I feel like she deserves it for that. Or maybe it's the guy from um, Take Me Out that got violated recently. <laughs> You're referring to Jesse Williams, who a photo of him, I guess they stripped down the actors and someone photographed him. He comes from Grey's Anatomy. And uh, he was photographed naked and that photo circulated. Although he also had the best response. He went on Watch What Happens Live with Jesse Tyler Ferguson and was like, whatever, it's a, it's a body. Right. Which I think is easy to say when you have a good, nice-sized dick, but... <laughs> yeah, on a related note, friend of the pod, Jesse Tyler Ferguson did get nominated, so good for him. But he's another one of those people like SJP that's like a was a theater person before... He was in a hugely popular television show. So it makes sense. Speaking of television, shall we talk about what we've been watching? <laughs> For sure. Well, let's start with better things. Right? We, we don't have better things to talk about other than better things. That's terrible and awful. I'm sorry. And just like that and the puns broke my mind, Chelsea. And I don't think I'll ever get back. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Better Things is Pamela Adlon's semi-autobiographical show about being a working actor and raising three crazy kids. And it ran for five seasons on FX. The season finale was, or the series finale, was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, sorry guys. We're going to be talking about television that came out weeks to months ago, but we're finally caught up and ready The Met Gala set us back a little bit in terms of timeliness. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this show forever, but we haven't really. We haven't really had an excuse to. Although I think we did talk about it briefly on one of our And Just Like That Patreon episodes because there is so much thematic overlap between those shows, although they couldn't be more opposite. Yeah, but speaking of women of a certain age kind of dealing with their life and going through new phases, I think Better Things is the better version of it and just like that in many ways i think that's why we were discussing it for sure i don't know there's so many good things about that show but i feel like ultimately it's its underlying sense of humanity that is so palpable and unique and moving like i can't even tell you how many times i've cried while watching this show even though it is a comedy for the most part it's just really fucking touching like that episode where they go to British Columbia, that one where they have the fake funeral. That's what I was going to say. I do think that that was maybe the peak of the, the series when they do the fake funeral. And then I think the end of that season is when they do the big dance performance. Dance performance and like <laughs> Busby Berkeley's influence on Pamela Adlon sort of goes through the entire series. For sure. Although to anyone that hasn't watched it, I don't want you to think that it's super heavy. Like it's not. It's a family comedy. It's for if you like the Sunset Trilogy, the Before Sunset, <laughs> Before Sunrise, Before Midnight series, you fuck with Six Feet Under, you liked Louis C.K.'s show until he was canceled, which we should say that this show wouldn't exist without Louis C.K. 
since he brought it into FX and was originally the producer on this. Right. But thank God they didn't need him. No, they did not. No. I think this is a show for you. It's a really good what Quentin Tarantino would dub. He dubs it a hang movie. I would call this like a hang show. You really are just hanging out with these people in a moment in time. Yeah, for sure. Well, it really... It's a show that's really not about the destination. It's about the journey. Like, it really does languish in these kind of mundane, everyday scenarios. And that's what makes it so cool because it's like not all of the dialogue is just about pushing the plot further along, you know? It's also a show that gave us Mikey Madison, our love. Yes. I mean, all the all the actors that play the kids are really great. All The, the whole cast is great. I think another aspect of it that I think is just so unique and cool is that it really just like presents a different depiction of a mom on TV. Like it presents an entirely different way of parenting than I've seen on any other show, right? Because there's lots of shows about quote unquote good moms. Yeah, I mean, it's a mom that I don't exactly recognize just because... I mean, we grew up as only children, but just the idea of a mom being like so down for any of her three children's friends to be over at any time. Yeah, she's chill. I think one of my favorite episodes from this, the final season, is when the uh, feng shui person comes over and is like, you need to remove all this stuff in the kitchen. She's like, no. What I found interesting, and again, in juxtaposition to and just like that, about this season was this idea about what is next for Pamela Adlon's character, Sam. Right. And it's this undercurrent of the show. And really where she comes to is, I'm not going to change all that much. And that's actually okay. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. We don't want to spoil the ending, but it basically is the equivalent of... If Carrie had gotten that phone call from Big and just voided it and walked <laughs> down the street alone. That's what they chose oh, to do at with the, the end of Sex in the City, not yes. in Just Like That. Yes, sorry. <laughs> at the end of Sex in the City. That's what they chose to do I with thought, this show. I thought you meant when Gary was trying to call 911 after <laughs> Big Call. <laughs> she was just like, fuck this noise and walked out the apartment. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's just like, how cool, you know? Yeah. There was also a sing-along, which I want to know what you thought about that. Oh, because I don't like musicals? Yeah. I loved it. I loved it, too. It's the closest spiritual sequel to the Six Feet Under series finale, in a way. Yeah. Because you get to see every character that has been introduced in the world, but kind of doing a musical number, not to give it away. I think we can talk about the musical number. It's not like... They break the fourth wall, then they sing to camera. Yeah, they they sing always look on the bright side of life, which is a which is a Monty Python song, which I did know that even though I don't care about Monty Python. I'm sorry to the British people. I watched Holy Grail in my high school film class. That was enough for me. I, I get that it's brilliant. I bet you uh, Luke, not the Lukes, but actual Luke, just like cringed in the bathroom <laughs> while listening to this. I know. I know that it's bad and I'm sorry for that. But this is an amazing song. And I was Googling it. And apparently in the UK, it's common to play this at funerals and sing along. Interesting. I mean, British culture, man. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But there's a lot of British stuff running through this show because, of course, her mother is British. And we got the whole penultimate episode was set in London. 
Well, she was also, Pamela Adlon was on that show, Finding Your Roots. I've read a couple interviews with Pamela Adlon, but I haven't seen her address if that kind of played into this final season, which is about going back to your roots. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. I also love that Pamela Adlon kind of has the same attitude of our love Isabelle Huppert. Do you remember when Elle came out and people kept asking Isabelle Huppert, like, you know, such you're in such dark movies and like, does that affect you? And she's like, no. Like, people keep asking Pamela Adlon, like, this must be so sad for you. Your show's ending. And she's like, no, I feel like I'm on to the next thing. I'm happy with what I did. Yeah, she should be. It's really just a stunning show. So that's our that's our mutual recommendation. Yeah. Also, I feel like we should mention such a great L.A. show. Like, I feel like that show is set in the L.A. that I know and live in. Well, also, it's very clear that Pamela Adlon lives in Studio City, which she herself has referenced. And I was just in Studio City this morning, and I'm always like, where is she? Where's Pamela? <laughs> also, if, if you don't care about Pamela Adlon, like, you need to start caring. If for no other reason than to care about her it girl daughters in real life, which is just something that everyone should know about. She has these three beautiful daughters. Not to be confused with the actors that play her it girl real life daughters in the show. Right, no. We're talking about her real life daughters. Major. They all look like 14-year-old Madonna. I don't know what age they are, but that's just the vibe that they give off. Anyway, what else have you been watching? Well... I've had to watch the show Severance because you wouldn't allow me to do this podcast if I didn't start watching Did you not like it? It's not that I didn't like it. I'm just like not in a place to watch a methodical, slow-spoken show. It's not slow-spoken. Everybody talks like this. Where did you go in the office? Okay, whatever. (laughs) Like, my feeling about Severance is the same feeling I have when I watch Westworld, which is, like, I understand that this is an extremely well-thought-out world, and I know a lot of time was spent weaving this story, but it's like, I can't commit to this right now. You're psychotic. It's so good. I agree. I will say I am obsessed with... So I'm halfway through episode five or six so i have a couple episodes to go okay but i am in love with whatever is dynamic is going on between john Turturro and christopher walken yes as you should anyway to back it up (laughs) i think we should give a basic premise for this show which it is a show about these fucked up people that voluntarily undergo this lobotomy-esque procedure that permanently separates their work life from their personal life like eternal sunshine type shit but i don't get the logic behind the severance procedure because it's like most of these people are doing this because they have like shitty lives like in the real world like outside of work right but like work distracts you from your personal problems why would you want a life that's all of that sad time when you're not at work just like being at home alone like thinking about how miserable your fucking life is Especially because you learn it stars Adam Scott from Parks and Rec and uh, the bully from Boy Meets World, if you remember that. (laughs) He explains to the female character who in the first episode wakes up from the the severance procedure and she's sort of the, the audience perspective on this world. But Adam Scott explains that they don't feel sleep or time passing, which I would say is the biggest negative 
There's so many negatives. Also, it's like the job that they do isn't particularly stressful. Like, it's not like they're the people that have to like bang the cows with the giant hammers or something. It's (laughs) like you'd want to repress that. They're just like doing dumb computer shit all day. Although occasionally they do fuck up and they have to go to that weird like Jenny Holzer type room where they're brainwashed or whatever. Yeah, it's a 1960s office building, but like by way of a 1990s Spike Jones commercial. (laughs) Totally. Well, I love that it's set in the future, but it looks like it's the 60s, which, yeah, agree. Like the 60s, we peaked in design. Nothing that has happened since has been better or more interesting than where we were at in like 1965. So I hope the future looks like this. But yes, to kick it back, John Turturro and Christopher Walken, the greatest office romance in the history of television. Is this the first time Christopher Walken has been gay? (laughs) What a question. Hasn't he always been gay, Chelsea? It just really works. I'm not saying like it works because he's gay in real life. I'm just saying like this is an actor that should play a gay person. This is like Stanley Tucci level. Correct. Also, I think the brilliance of this show for me and what I am uh, really grasping is who knew that I needed these two beloved New York character actors, John Turturro and Christopher Walken, in an unrequited, forbidden, like, we're just going to touch pinkies when the camera isn't looking underneath this desk type of romance? Yeah. A type of romance that's kind of reserved for, like, Bridgerton? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Maybe I am into this show. <laughs> yeah, it's genius. Also, shout out to our favorite director, Ben Stiller. His production company made this show. The show, I'm sorry to whomever created this show, but it is the screenwriter dream that he just submitted this spec script into Ben Stiller's production company. And then like seven years later, they decided to make it. I think the dream would be like a one or two year period there, but that's Hollywood. You know, it takes longer than you think, Chelsea. But yes, I'm. We're big fans of Ben Stiller. We're, we don't even mean that sarcastic. Did you get to the Defiant Jazz episode? Because that's when I feel like his direction was the best. Sorry, I'm also concurrently watching Atlanta, and last week's episode was called New Jazz. So it's like it's it's like Inception. It's all sort of collapsing into my brain. I'm not sure. So how's Atlanta? Atlanta's good this season. It's quite like another FX show we just talked about, Better Things. It is very much a hang show this season. And ostensibly, they are in Europe right now. But then they'll have kind of offshoot episodes. Like the first episode is based on, remember those lesbians that crashed their minivan off a cliff with all their adopted children? Of course. Yes. So it is a it is inspired by that, except it's the kind of happy version of that, which is what <laughs> what's the happy version of that where that kid gets away and goes back to his family. What back to his like biological but, yes. family. There's another episode with Justin Bartha that exists in a parallel future where people can go after the ancestor or not ancestors, but the if their ancestors had slaves, they can basically go after them for punitive damage. Okay. And then this latest episode had Liam Neeson as Liam Neeson discussing this incident that happened right before the pandemic, which I thought was one so bold because it's like, oh, I forgot this happened. Where, you know, while promoting one of his like 18 million geezer teasers, (laughs) 
he let it be known that, you know, in the 70s or 80s, his friend was raped. And that for weeks and months later, he walked the streets wanting to accost a black man. Oh, my God. Any black man to avenge that. I completely forgot about that. Wow. So he references that. Uh, and he's talking to the character Paperboy. And Paperboy's like, just so you know, like we, like, we fuck with you. And he's like, oh, no, I hate all black people now because you tried to ruin my career. It didn't work. I would say my one issue with Atlanta this season is a lot of like subtext is just text because Liam Neeson literally says like, that's the great thing about being white. You don't have to learn a lesson if you don't want to. Right. That's pretty cool, though, that they got him to come on and do that and that he agreed to do it. There you go. Wow. I still think Atlanta peaked with the Teddy Perkins episode from last season, which you've never watched. I've never watched it. I know. It's so I know. So I'll, weird. D- I'll do it. It's That's one of those shows that I've obviously been meaning to watch, but... God, FX just really delivers, don't they? They do. So I banged through Girl from Plainville. Did you? I did. Um, did this need to be eight episodes? I say not. Absolutely not. It could have accomplished, like, what Gus Van Sant's To Die For did in a single, like, hour and a half movie. Isn't that crazy? I recently rewatched To Die For because it was on the Criterion channel. That film is a breezy hour and a half. That is a film that could easily be two hours. Yeah. But I feel like there are a lot of tonal overlaps between To Die For and Girl from Plainville. Or there could be, right? In my idealized movie version of this story that lives in my head. Well, both are. For those that don't know what To Die For is, like Girl from Plainville is based on something that actually happened. A woman that was an aspiring weather woman had an affair with high school students and got them to kill her husband. Right. And Girl from Plainville, for those of you who don't know, is about Michelle Carter, that teenage girl that convinced her boyfriend to kill himself via text message. Did you watch the documentary? Because no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, no, I, I kind of got it with just the HBO trailer that was like, and the title, I love you now die. It's like, okay. Yeah, the thing with Girl from Plainville is like, it's good. I enjoy watching it for sure. But the story and the trial just aren't intricate enough to merit the length of it. Also, can we just normalize like limited series that are like three or four episodes? Also, they never explain why her eyebrows are like that, right? (laughs) I love a dark brow with a blonde hair. I mean, if you want to like waste an episode, I could have had a whole bottle episode of her just in the bathroom doing her (laughs) eyebrows in preparation for the trial. There's not even a scene like that. We should also note that the incredible Elle Fanning is the lead. She's great. And I love... Someone like that who is kind of a polyglot when it comes to media. She's not like, oh, I'm a movie star. She's also in The Great, which is also an HBO series that is great. From the same guy that wrote The Favorites. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Obsessed. Also, we should note that Chloe Sevigny plays the mom of the guy that killed himself. And it's occurred to me that is she now being typecast into these like sad working class mom roles like she was in the act. Also, how do we talk about Severance and not talk about Patricia Arquette? Is it just me or is that performance like incredibly campy? Well, because going back to Severance, Patricia Arquette is the boss lady in the work world and then is a woman with a German accent? Question mark. I have no idea. Who's Adam Scott's 
neighbor. Ben Stiller knows her from, she was in Escape from Danamora. She plays the woman that works in the prison that fucks. Okay, I didn't watch that, but that was good, right? Like, everyone liked that. Yeah, because also, there's just something to watching Benicio Del Toro and, like, Paul Dano double-team Patricia Arquette. Like, just your favorite character (laughs) actors from the last 20 years are all in this miniseries together. That's cool. But Patricia Arquette was also so major and campy in the act. Like, Gypsy Gypsy Rose. That's what her name was, right? Yes. Anyway. Also free Gypsy Rose. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yeah, Chloe Sevigny in a very similar role. So did you actually watch any of the new season of Selling Sunset, Joe? No. I fucking watched Severance for you, okay? I'm sorry. I forgot. Look, Selling Sunset is for people that think the Kardashians isn't scripted enough and that Kim and Chloe are too natural looking. <laughs> What's great about this show, Chelsea, is even if you didn't have facial blindness, it'll make you feel like you have facial blindness because I've watched this show for years. I still can't tell these women apart. Well, I can tell the Oppenheim twins. You can tell them no, apart? No, I can't tell them apart. <laughs> I can tell them apart from the rest of the cast. I will say that it's having a Kardashian, I'll call it a Kardashian timeline issue, which the show has become so popular that it's now tabloid fodder. Right. Like one of the realtors, which if you go on the... I'm aware of the G-flip situation in case you're... Chriselle and then one of the Oppenheimers were dating last summer, which is when this new season takes place. But so much time happens between when they shoot the show and when they put it online on Netflix that it's like they're no longer together. And yes, now Chriselle is with G-Flip. All the Australian lesbians are like losing their minds. Except for Tabs, like, who the fuck is that? Okay, uh, that makes me feel a little bit better. Do you want to tell me about Ozarks? Wait, I haven't been watching Ozark. The final episode's dropped, baby. <laughs> I stopped watching Ozark not because I wanted to, but because Tat just, like, started being on her phone, like, the whole time <laughs> we would watch it and then not know what's going on and then not want to watch it anymore, so... There are certain shows that I feel like I've watched just because my parents watch certain shows obsessively and then tell me about it, or I'm like forced to watch it when I'm over at their house. Right. So Ozarks is one which they burn through like goddamn fiends. Yeah. And now because Paramount Plus will only drop episodes once a week, they are impatiently waiting for every Thursday a new episode of The Offer. Right. Which is based on Al Ruddy, who was a producer of The Godfather's book about the making of The Godfather. Okay, cool. Which has one of the most stacked character actors of this generation all in one TV show. Like Miles Teller plays Al Ruddy. Our love Juno Temple plays his assistant. Matthew Good is Robert Evans. Cool. And is not doing the stereotypical Robert Evans impression. He actually went back and is doing a 70s Robert Evans impression. And then they have like the most legit young actor that looks like a young Al Pacino. That's cool. Yeah. Love that. Great 70s costumes, Chell. All right. I'll watch that. Do you have Paramount Plus? I do. I, I forget why they got me, but they got me at some point. Question. Yeah. Did you watch The Flight Attendant? Because I just started watching that. (laughs) No. Really? I think you should because it's kind of like, imagine if Carrie Bradshaw and Amy Adams' character in Sharp Objects were like a single person. Okay. But the tone of the show is like Emily in Paris, except for 
instead of like Emily figuring out how to like be the best at social media and like find love, it's about like she's trapped in some sort of like corporate espionage like situation. All right. I mean, that's the one thing that I don't like about Severance. It was more about John Turturro and Chris Watkins' gay love story and less about, like, whatever the fuck is going on at the secret corporation. I'd be more into Severance. But knowing how shows go now, we might just get a gay suburban rom-com with John Turturro and Christopher Walken. Oh, no. Don't tell me something sad. No, no. I'm not telling you anything sad. I think... If you just stick with Severance, I think you're really going to enjoy the finale. Okay. Because it really does build to something. And and then leaves you hanging, of course. And if you happen to find on the internet gay fanfic between John Turturro and Christopher Walken's character, I definitely didn't write it, okay? <laughs> All right, shall we, Kardash? Yep. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. No one thinks we're going to talk about this. <laughs> Who could predict? Today we're going to be reviewing Kendall Jenner's boyfriend. What's his name? Devin Booker. Devin Booker is the new face of Sweet Green. He has his own Sweet Green salad, and we just ate it for lunch. It was the saddest lunch that I've ever had because we couldn't talk about our feelings about the salad because we had to save it for the pod. So we just sat there staring <laughs> at each other in silence. You know what it reminded me of? In American Beauty, when it's like Allison, Janney, and Chris Cooper, when it's like that family eating together, that's what our lunch was like. And I just dropped my uh, my mason jar full of Coke just to feel something. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the salad? Well, should we say what's in the salad? Okay, you're the sweet green influencer, so would you like to get into the salad? Yeah, let me just read the ingredients. Gotta pull up my sweet green app. Okay, so Devin Booker's bowl has a baby spinach base. Then we got warm wild rice, basil, spicy broccoli, toasted almonds, breadcrumbs, apples, roasted chicken, shaved parmesan, fresh lemon squeeze. Should pesto and apples exist in a single salad? I guess my issue was more the basil garnish because when I mix the salad up, I would get a licorice aftertaste that I assume was the basil infusion that I really didn't enjoy. See, I didn't mind the basil at all. I think that it's okay. Like it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be based on the random ingredients. But I will say it is like a weird modification of the chicken pesto parm. It's like chicken pesto parm minus the tomatoes plus the apples and and minus the hot sauce. Yeah, I don't know if I'm doing that one again. I think I'm more of like a crispy rice for life type of girl. Yeah, I'm a... What, what do I like? mommy. I'm a mommy. Yeah. I'm very boring. Once I find something I like, I just keep ordering it. Although, sweet green, you know, let's... 
let's double up on the protein. I got to order like two to three tofus in that salad. You can double up on the protein. I understand, but for extra money. (laughs) You also have a whole guide. I wish you guys could have Chelsea as kind of your shaman for sweet green because she'll tell you when you have to order an extra dressing and like which ones you're fine. Well, I can tell you now. It's the ones where the base is kale and arugula that you absolutely need two dressings. (laughs) There's no other way. Why does Sweet Green need to do this? Why not? People care about him. People that care about sports. We don't know about any of this shit. Like, I barely know who Naomi Osaka is. That's true. They probably, with Devin Booker, want the millennial Gen Z bro audience to be at Sweet Green. Yeah. They don't need us. We're already there. And other things that no one thought we would talk about, Som West's third birthday party happened. I need to know if Mindy Weiss even works on any other events except Kardashian events at this point. Yeah. Someone's either getting engaged. They now have 1,800 children. So there's a birthday happening every weekend. Yeah. It's crazy how many birthdays they celebrate. Even over the course of the last Kardashians episode, we got Kim's birthday, Chris's birthday. Crazy. And we even had Scott shouting out and breaking the fourth wall, be demanding of Chris to know if Mindy Weiss was planning her birthday dinner. But we're preoccupied with Psalm's birthday because it was incredible Hulk themed. So there was this giant green fist coming out of his birthday cake. And then all of like the place settings for the little kids had these gelatin fists on them. And I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say it. They looked like dildos. Like it was giving... Folsom Street Fair vibes. So a main toy for the Hulk is being able to like put your tiny hands in like Hulk fists. So that is where it comes from. But the other side of that is they definitely have made Avengers dildos of which there's a, I mean, I said this in <laughs> yeah, our Yeah, I know you said it to me. I've seen them. Like there literally are dildos of just full on fists that look exactly like this. And once you see that, you can't look at this and not think of that. It's just not possible. Or is it the reverse that we're the perverts for looking at a three-year-old's birthday cake and seeing a fisting implement? Did anyone else think about this when they saw those Instagram stories? Call in and let us know. Also, I just want to say thank you to everyone that has been calling in and leaving voicemails. We will do a call-in show soon. We're just a little behind. Yeah, we spent 40 minutes talking about television shows this episode. So So there's that. That preempted it. We're so behind that we have two Kardashians episodes to talk about. I know. Before we get into these episodes, I just want to say they need to change outfits in these confessionals. Right. Like, I cannot look at that Dolce & Gabbana jeweled blazer that Chris is wearing anymore. Like, I need a different vibe. Well, Kim's got that full-on Balenciaga look. That that takes a lot of time to do an outfit change for that. I know, but it's just like you could throw a jacket over it. Just do something. Like, is it going to be like this for the entire season? Only time will tell. I mean, I'm glad in the latest episode that it wasn't another cliffhanger it's uh, hopefully we're done with these like cliffhangers of like oh no will we all get to Santa Barbara at the same time oh no we won't it's fine well we knew that was fake because then when they actually got to Santa Barbara it was like hours before Courtney and Travis showed up there was that whole scene with Chris and Travis's kids and all that stuff 
the most awkward conversation I've ever heard. I know. So you're 18. Is that like getting a condo apartment birthday? These kids did not talk at all. I don't know if it was edited out, but... I think it was edited out. I do appreciate that when that episode aired, Chloe wrote on Twitter, she goes, well, this didn't age well. Because in Chloe's confessional, she's like, yeah, you know, Tristan and I are good. We're back together. He's really working on himself. Uh, I saw someone on TikTok just did like, this man is a walking red flag. And they've showed him, every time Tristan has been shown an episode, he's on his phone and his phone has a red phone cover. Right. So he's literally a red flag. I mean, I could have told her that my favorite part and it's such a tiny moment but that's what i'm enjoying about the kardashians versus keeping up is when they're all talking on the balcony before the wedding or before the engagement happens you can just see in the distance that Corey and tristan are talking on another balcony <laughs> in the background oh i didn't notice that did you notice though that they only refer to travis as human Oh, like, like he's the sweetest human? He's the kindest human being. Like, it's very, like, folks with an X, like, energy. I don't know why he can't just be, like, a good guy or, like... Has anyone called you a human? No, because I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no one would say that about either of us. <laughs> with reason. <laughs> so, they get engaged. Courtney is immediately pissed that her kids weren't invited to the post-engagement party, which I understand. To be fair, they underplay this, but there's a lot of subtext. Even when Kim's like, oh, so are Courtney's kids coming up? And Chris is like, no, sorry, we couldn't make that work. It's like, mm. Well, they thought they were too young. And then they also said like, oh, we'd have to lie to Scott and say that we were taking the kids under some other premise, which we wouldn't feel comfortable doing. Well, they make it seem as if if they had told Scott what was going to happen, even day of, he would have called Courtney out of spite and been like, by the way, you're getting engaged today. Fuck you, bitch. Yeah. Which, to be fair, he may have done. Uh, but he also makes the point that I agree with later in the episode that it's like, it's not like we're across the country. Someone could have called me. It's a 50 minute drive from Calabasas to Santa Barbara. I would have driven the kids up. Yeah. I do feel a little bit in this episode that Courtney is a sociopath because it is kind of, it looks like halfway through dinner that Courtney's like, oh, I should call my kids and let them know. Well, yeah, I'm sure they had already found out on social media by that point anyway. Which they had, and her daughter immediately starts crying, which Courtney doesn't understand at first. And then her daughter's just like, hang up. Yeah. Which I get it. I'm sure she thinks that, you know, her father is being taken away from her. I mean, yeah, these are little kids. I understand the point of not inviting them for that reason. Also, you don't know how they're going to react to this situation. Like, Penelope might have just started crying there and, like, fucked up the entire party. <laughs> Right. And you always come down on the side of fuck these kids. No, no, it's I I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like that could have happened. Was she crying because she was excluded or was she crying because her mom got engaged? Probably the latter. Look, hindsight is 2020, but it does feel like if they had called Scott to drive them up. If Chris had the forethought to get Courtney's glam team their own hotel room so that Courtney could glam after engagement, yeah. it feels like she could have organized with Scott how to get the kids up there. Yeah, it's true. Although I feel like Scott, I don't know, he just has like major like Jackson Maine energy, you know? 
He's definitely going to piss himself during Trav and Courtney's wedding. I would also have Jackson main energy if I had to watch Courtney and Travis in their matching like skeleton onesies go for their egg retrieval, which happened later in this episode. Yeah, which is an interesting thing to show. And I wonder if the surprise is that Courtney has gone the surrogate route because... Given the timeline of everything, she would be six or seven months pregnant if this had taken. Right. Well, I think she might be a bit pregs now. Well, the whole thing is because she didn't freeze her eggs. What they're doing is trying to find a follicle that they can get some eggs out of and harvest that embryo. Are we doing modern fertility spawn again? I know. That was last week. I wish wish it, it had been this week. God damn it. Yeah, that was not our finest work. Or was it our finest? <laughs> I dare say it was our finest work. Um, For those who skipped over that commercial, you missed a lot. I thought the most interesting thing from this episode was, which was not shown in the preview for this episode, was the chat between Chloe and Kim of Kim revealing that Kanye walked out during her monologue. Totally. I also love how they were in matching outfits. Yes. They were both in like cropped black bombers, black leggings, hair like pulled back like severely, sunglasses, the works. Yeah, that was juicy because she said that Kanye had walked out during her SNL monologue. Because she said, instead of saying, I filed for divorce, she said, I divorced him. Which pissed him off, apparently. And instead of listing all of his accomplishments, she just called him a rapper. But the thing he wasn't insulted by, which is the punchline of the joke of, I must have divorced him for his personality, that he didn't have a problem with. Right. He was just like pissed that she didn't call him like a multi-hyphenate creative genius or whatever instead of a rapper. It's interesting. I've seen comments about this conversation between Kim and Chloe where it's like, Kim didn't have to work for anything and she doesn't understand what this means to Kanye. It's like, no, you're not listening to what she's saying. What she's saying is that Kanye has surrounded himself with yes people, of which she acknowledges she was complicit in that, in just agreeing with everything he's ever said or done. Right. That this is the first time she's ever been like, no. Well, good for her. So that I thought was the most interesting part of the episode. Totally. And then into the next episode, there's more Kanye drama because she's basically like, I've given him the divorce papers. He won't sign them. And also I'm having nervous breakdowns because now I have to like put together my own outfits. I got it, but it also doesn't really track because the outfit she's putting together is head to toe Balenciaga. Yeah, which he clearly facilitated that relationship. The most shocking thing is that she was basically like, well, I styled uh, this one outfit myself. She was wearing her Fendi Skims collaboration like pleather dress or maybe it was leather. It looked pleather. I don't know. She wore that to get some award. I forget what it was. And I guess Kanye texted her and was like, you look ugly. Your career is over and you look like Marge Simpson. We are at the beginning of whatever Kanye's Instagram meltdown is because what she's referring to is a radio interview he did where he says that 
he didn't know what she was going to say. And then it cuts to Kim talking to Courtney and giving context, which is because we watched the episodes where she's prepping for SNL. He was a part of helping the monologue being written. But what she reveals is that she showed him his monologue and he said, okay. And then when he got pissed off about it, he revealed to her, oh, I never actually read it. Which it's like, that's on you. Again, it's Jackson Maine vibes. And then, yeah, in this interview, he says, oh, she said she's going to divorce me. I've never seen divorce papers. And then it cuts back to Kim talking to Courtney. And that's when she says he will not sign the papers. Right. And that she's discussed this with him many times. What I'm enjoying about the Kardashians and maybe this new era of Kim is she's a little more self-aware, not completely, obviously, but... You know, the fact that she talks about how when he talks about her in a rap song, it's more valid than when she talks about him. And in some ways shows him When she talks about him on a reality show. She was like, this is seen as like more valid, whereas people will judge me for talking about this on the Kardashians, which is completely true. Right. And her point is, in many ways, I'm showing a fuller picture when I discuss him and show him on the reality show. Right. I thought that's interesting. But enough about Kim and Kanye. Can we talk about Kendall and Hailey Bieber getting IV bags? Do you think the producers when they are the editors when they got this footage were like, is that it? Did they not get in a fight? Like what? I kept thinking it was going to lead to something. Yeah, it would have been much more exciting if it was more like Tad and I's recent IV bag <laughs> experience. I told you about that, right? What happened again? Before Tad and I went to Vegas for New Year's, we got IV bags because Tad was like, we're going to the cesspool of the universe. We got COVID anyway, but whatever. Oh no, that vitamin C didn't protect you? <laughs> didn't protect me. But she put like the thing into my arm and like my arm just started geysering blood. Like it was like not a normal amount of blood. It wasn't like leaking out. It was like spurting out. Like I thought Tat was going to throw up. And then it was like it like fucked up my arm. Like it's like the blood got like under my skin, like the bruising on my arm. Like I looked like I was abusing like intravenous drugs. Like thank God my like New Year's outfit was long sleeved. Like I don't know what I would have done. Anyway, I don't think twice before you get one of those uh, vitamin drips. (laughs) I don't know if we're trying to set up a storyline where Kendall is ill post COVID because that's basically the reasoning is like I haven't fully recovered since getting COVID. Well, I can't tell if I'm recovered. Like, I honestly don't know. It's like, do I have long COVID or am I just a lazy, dumb bitch? No, I think my dad, who got COVID a couple of weeks ago, still is a little sniffly. And yet, somehow, my mother and I have never gotten COVID and been in very close proximity to people with COVID. Are we the lucky ones? I think that's kind of, like, sad in a way. Like, just because it's so anticlimactic after the whole thing to just, like, be immune to COVID. I mean, it's cool. Cut to us next week and we're doing it separately because I do, in fact, have COVID. You've given me like a new strain. Also, Chris gave herself the ultimate birthday present, a new house. Could you believe that? Oh my God. Where to even (laughs) begin with this house? She's like, it's my birthday. And to celebrate, I gave myself the ultimate birthday present. I was like, what? Like a girl's trip to Palm Springs? Like a 
a 10,000 pound diptyque candle? No, a house. Where do we want to start? The I China mean, room? Yes. The China room. The China room. I love that it looks like seemingly all the Kardashians' closets look the same, which are that kind of three-story floating... Floating shelves with the, the track lighting like underneath it. Yeah, that is usually for Kylie and Kim for their Hermes bags, but for Chris, it's for her China. It's kind of weird that she would want like open shelves instead of just like a display case, but whatever. When you're Chris, you have a, a, a full-time dusting person who's just dusting all of those plates. Also, her fridge, which is like the home edit on steroids, <laughs> her open green fridge, because I always have this back and forth with my mother, because we love those fridges that have, you know, the, the glass in them so you can see everything on the inside. But the the problem of that is you have to have a beautifully manicured fridge on display at all times. Right. My other issue, for those who haven't seen this episode, it is, it's a floor-to-ceiling fridge with just greens. Yeah. Spinach, kale. And the issue is that unless you are doing a 10-person dinner every week, you're not going through that. The amount of produce waste that you're going through just to achieve that fridge. Of course. Well, also, how many of those little, like, cookies are they wasting? Oh, well, yeah, for Chloe's house, when she has that, like, three foot high cookie jar <laughs> exactly exactly no wonder you they be- could end world hunger <laughs> i was gonna say also no wonder you have to work out twice a day <laughs> you're consuming that cookie jar in its entire no one has ever eaten a single cookie out of that jar something that did speak to us was chris's bar right of course uh something that also spoke to us was portia and ellen As I was falling asleep and watching this episode, I screamed and I almost texted you. And I just almost texted in all caps, Ellen and Portia. Ellen and Portia. (laughs) Ellen's now a minor character in the Kardashians. She's like as big of a character as Food God. And not to sound like Bill Hader in the Californian sketch, but she lives in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills to Calabasas is quite the drive. (laughs) Yeah, well, they just took the helicopter over, whatever. Actually, they probably drove down from Montecito. Somehow Montecito to Calabasas is less of a drive than Beverly Hills to Calabasas. It was weird, though, because it was a very intimate dinner. It was basically just the fam and Portia and Ellen. And again, Ellen has to give a shit about the dynamics between the couples. Right. So this was an event that both Scott and Kravis were invited to. Well, Scott sort of weaseled his way into this. Love a uh, restaurant cameo by Maria's Italian Kitchen, which I don't think you've ever had, Chelsea. No, I haven't. It's a valley establishment. It's quite good. Lovely bread, I must say. And Chris is trying to pull one over on Scott by being like, this is my birthday lunch. And he's like, no, it's not. Like, this isn't you officially celebrating your birthday. Right. This is when he throws out that, what, is Mindy Weiss not doing your birthday dinner? And she's like, just, you know, like, Private Chef is just cooking some stuff. He goes, from where? She goes, you know, whatever, Nobu. (laughs) I really loved seeing Ellen and Portia's reaction to Kravis making out at the dinner, which it's like, it's not awkward because Scott is there. It's awkward because you guys are basically fucking. Like, that would be awkward anywhere. 
when Kravis, I mean, when Travis kisses Court, it's like he's eating her face or something. Like you can somehow see both of their tongues. Yeah. Like swishing outside their mouths. Like it's very upsetting. They're also acting like teenagers who learned their idea of love from the film True Romance. Right. And think that in order to display accurate and appropriate love, you have to be an 11 always. Yeah. And this is when it got really weird for me. Two things in this episode. They're minor moments. But when Courtney's like, baby, what do you want to drink? Do you want red wine or do you want sake? He's like, baby, I want whatever you want. She's like, okay, red wine. And then he just has this look and she's like, did you want sake? He's like, no, no, red wine's fine. It's like, just fucking get the sake. Why can't you have different alcohol preferences? (laughs) Yeah, they're kind of freaks. And then also when Chris reveals, and she's saying this in a cute way, that Travis revealed to her that the only reason he moved to Calabasas was because he knew Courtney was his soulmate. And even though she wouldn't be with him, he decided to be as close to her as possible. This is some Joe Goldberg you shit. (laughs) You're right. Like in a different font, (laughs) this is the fourth season of you. (laughs) Totally. That's what's always funny about like thriller films and rom-coms is they're the same premises. The only difference is the woman doesn't want the men's affection in the thriller version. Right. Also, Scott is not making this easy on himself. Do you know what I mean? Like if he just invited Travis and Courtney over for dinner, then the whole family would be like, okay, they're good. It's fine. We can invite Scott to things and it won't be awkward. Look, this made me understand Scott more because he's like, it's not like I can't be around Courtney and Travis. It's just that they're always fucking when I'm around and that makes me uncomfortable. Fair. I I mean, it makes Chris uncomfortable. It It makes fucking Ellen and Portia uncomfortable. Like that's not just like a... It's not like that's just Scott like projecting his shit onto their situation. It just does like create a weird, awkward, sexually charged environment, which is weird like in a family setting, which is that's what her and Scott are at this point. They're they're family. And he's also overlaying something that the entire family said, which we know because this happened when Keeping Up was going on, which is when Scott's parents died, Chris was like, you are part of the family. You will always be part of the family. You will never not be part of the family. I guess Chris didn't say the ellipses of that, which was unless Courtney finds the love of her life and then it gets awkward and then we're not going to invite you to things. And then it gets awkward because you guys can't be in the same room together and have it not be like a terrible vibe, basically. Okay, all of that is whatever. Can we get to when... Kendall finally shows up at Chris's house. For sure. But also, I want to note, I am so deeply offended that Tat somehow got on the 818 tequila PR list before we did. I'm sorry, what? She literally, I don't know how, I mean, I think when you're like part of a glam squad, you just kind of automatically get found by the 818 people and they just start sending you shit. We haven't gotten actual tequila yet, but it is like this like 12 days of Christmas shit where one day we get like a thing of playing cards in the mail and the next day we get like a hat. It hasn't like escalated to actual alcohol yet, but we'll see. More importantly, have you got Kendall's 818 sweatshirt that she's wearing during this scene? No, not yet. I'll report back. I love how Kendall's like, you get to have my friend, but no storyline. And if I'm going to be on screen fighting with someone, I'm going to be wearing 818 merch. Or else it's not worth it for me. 
Yeah, her and Scott got into a fight because he was pissed that she did invite him to her birthday party. To which she said it wasn't really a family thing. It was like an intimate dinner. It was just my friends. It was me and Haley and the gang. And also Courtney was there. And then Chris in true Chris fashion. This felt very true to form of a mother-daughter relationship. She's like, what birthday dinner? And Kendall turns to her. She's like, I told you. I told you, it was at my house. She goes, oh, that one. Which is clear that Chris was there and everyone was there. Uh, we're, uh, f- fuck this fight. This fight is meaningless. But it was a real fight. Oh, it was very real. But I am more disturbed and what I will carry for the rest of my life is how Kendall cuts a cucumber. Oh, yeah, I know. So Kendall's making a snack for herself, of which Chris, without thinking, goes, do you want the personal chef to do that? And I think Kendall was cognizant that the cameras are there and said no. Otherwise, why would this woman who's clearly never cut anything, let alone a cucumber, cut it that way? She cuts it with her arms crossed over each other. Yeah, like I'm pretty incompetent when it comes to cooking, but even I would never do that. It's like she's playing a game of Twister and has to cut a cucumber slice as well. Yeah. Anyway, I loved these apps. These were my two favorite so far. We needed to get done with the SNL stuff. Oh, did you notice that during Chris's birthday, they are clearly talking about Pete Davidson without saying his name? Oh, yeah. But Ellen goes, because everyone goes, oh, he's so nice. He's so fun. And Ellen goes, yeah, yeah, that's great. But and then they change the camera angles and start having a different conversation. It seemed like Ellen was trying to warn Kim about Pete somehow. Right. It's well, a- I'm sure Ellen is privy to his past. He's seen that video of Cindy Crawford and Kaya Gerber talking outside of Pete Davidson's apartment <laughs> and having a nervous breakdown. Like, it's, you know, that's out there. It's surprising to see how quickly that relationship began after SNL. Well, according to Kim, they've been talking before okay. SNL. So I think... SNL was just like the match on the gasoline-soaked pile of hay, you know? Um, We completely glossed over the beginning of the episode where Kim is taking her baby bar for the fourth time. That's fine, because, like, there's no news. I mean, we know she passed. Right. Which makes the preview for the next episode where we see her anxiously awaiting her results kind of anticlimactic, because we know she passed. Yeah. Well, they really need to speed this shit up. I told you that last episode we were discussing and you said you don't agree. Because it makes you not understand it because intellectually it's like we progressed so far. Like especially with the Tristan Chloe stuff, it's almost like you get confused seeing what's happening because you're like, wait, did they get back together again? And then you're like, oh no, none of that shit has happened yet. So what you want is a companion piece that's a master timeline of the Kardashians. Yeah. All right, guys, we've come to the end of another episode. Uh, For those of you who listen to our podcast who haven't joined our Patreon just yet, we have lots of goodies for you guys, including, in the coming days, our uh, review of a Cynthia Nixon SVU episode. The one where she has multiple personalities. Spoiler. (laughs) All right, guys, see you next week. Bye. Bye.